I invite you to turn once again to the Christmas gospel, the Christmas uh, narrative. Luke chapter 2, the bulletin says I'm going to read the first 20 verses. I'm not going to read it again. I'm going to read the first seven verses and paying close attention to verse 7. But I want to read the first seven verses of Luke 2 of chapter of uh, the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. This is the word of God. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Assyria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were com completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a, in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And our text is, is framed in those words of that last verse, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem with me this afternoon. As we sat here and listened once again to the account of the historical events of the birth of Jesus, and especially when we listen to the words found in our text where we read that there was no room for them at the inn, we catch ourselves thinking absolutely incredible, almost unbelievable. How is that possible? Here he is, Jesus, the firstborn of Mary the Virgin, the one by whom all things were made, the one who has preeminence in all things, this Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn for him. Incredible, isn't it? Here it is, the most momentous event in all of history. Here is the miracle of incarnation of the very Son of God. Here he is, appointed, by the, appointed to be the Savior of the world, ordained to be the Savior and Lord of the church. Here is the fulfillment of the promise, the promise so anxiously awaited for thousands of years and no room. This momentous event stands at the center, at the apex of all things. Everything since the dawning of creation pointed to him. All the promises, all the sacrifices, all the ceremonies, all the shadows, the priests, the kings, the prophets, all pointed to this very precise moment in history. Now is the time of full redemption. Jesus Christ come into the world in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Salvation, victory, the kingdom, the glory. This is the message of Christmas and we find it all in all possible places. We find it all there in the stable of Bethlehem of Judea because there was no room for them in the inn. Somehow it doesn't seem right. Somehow it doesn't seem proper at all. Oh, we would have done it much differently. We would have improved on God's plan a little bit. In fact, that's also exactly what the world does. Every Christmas again, how different the celebrations of that event today. 
There seems to be all kinds of room for him all over the world today. Look at all, look at all how the world frantically prepares for Christmas. Lights and tinsel and garland and toys and dinners, shopping, festivals, concerts, pageants, carols, nativity scenes. No matter where you go, you can't escape it. You, can't, you can even take bus tours to see the greatest, sometimes even the most absurd and ludicrous displays of lights. Everyone, so it seems, joins in the celebrations, in the homes, in the malls, even under the streets. Look at the lights, the displays in people's yards. Look and listen and you can hear and see everyone making room for Christmas. But it's not the Jesus of Bethlehem of whom the world speaks and celebrates, no. The God of the world is the tinsel and the garland for the world. That baby born in Bethlehem is not God incarnate. That celebration belongs exclusively to the congregation of Jesus Christ. And that celebration is radically different from the jubilation of the world for the, for the child that the church celebrates, the Jesus that the church celebrates is the Jesus of the cross. That cross is seen and understood by the church already in his birth. The Christian looks into that manger and indeed he sees the Christ, but the church sees the Christ already on Golgotha. The world too, the world too has room for the baby of Christmas but the world has no room for the Christ of the cross. The church sees that cross already in the words of our text. There is no room for him to lay his head. He was wrapped in rags and laid in a manger in a stable. He's despised and rejected by the world, and the world finally nails him to the cross because there was no room for him, no room in the inn, no room for him in Bethlehem, no room for him in Judea, and still no room for him in the world, despite the apparent jubilation seen in the malls, the homes, and the streets. There is still today no room in the world for the Christ of the cross. I want to administer God's word to you this afternoon, using as my theme, no room in the inn, and we will see that there was no room for the Christ in the inn because there was no room in the hearts of men to receive him. There was no room for the Christ in the inn because there was no room in the hearts of men to receive him. The story is wonderful. It's simple yet always rich and new. It begins with Caesar's decree. We heard that all the world will be taxed. We read that this morning. Oh, how the glory had departed from Israel. How else are we to understand the connection between Caesar's decree and the birth of Jesus, of Israel's king? Capture this with me. What takes place here stands in sharp contrast to what Israel had, ex had expected. You see, Israel looked for a Messiah. Israel looked for an earthly king who would once again make Israel the glory of the world. How foreign to them what was actually happening. Caesar is on the throne. Caesar issues the decree in Israel. Oh, there was a brief time of hope after the captivity when the Jerusalem and the temple were rebuilt. But now things again appeared hopeless and Israel was again under foreign rule. Just barely had they shaken their Babylonian captivity. Now here they were again being oppressed, this time by the, the hated Romans. 
Their former glory as it was under David and Solomon was gone forever, and only a small number of those who had sat and wept by, in captivity under, by, by Babel's streams, only a, only a small remnant had returned to Jerusalem. Oh, the temple had been rebuilt, but the Holy of Holies was conspicuously bare, for the Ark of the Covenant had been lost. The throne of David was occupied, indeed, but by Herod, Herod the king, who wasn't a true king at all, and who was only a puppet in the hands of Rome. Oh, Israel cried out in despair, Ichabod, Ichabod, for the glory of the Lord has been lost. The glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. And to make matters even worse, it seemed that even God had abandoned them altogether since for 400 years now, even the voice of God had been silent. No prophet had spoken for four centuries, and with every passing year, the hope of Israel grows dimmer. Mighty Caesar's on the throne. The kingdom of God is crushed. The glory of the Lord has departed, and now Caesar issues his decree. Oh, it all seems so hopeless. And it is, if that's all you see. The glory of Israel had indeed departed, but it had departed only from the hearts and the minds of those who dreamed of an earthly glory in an earthly Messiah. From that point of view, the future did look bleak for Israel. Not David, not Solomon, not the promised king, but Caesar issued the decree. And if that's all you see, things are indeed hopeless, and Israel's future is shrouded in bleak uncertainty. Yet what the church sees is the wonderful way of God. You see, that was not Caesar's decree. We heard that this morning. It was God's decree. Within the context of the sovereignty of God, we could read the text to say, and in those days a decree went out from God that all the world should be taxed. Why now was this decree? Because the fullness of time had come. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. Israel's kingdom was only an image. It had to be destroyed in order to make room for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Yet the king was coming. Oh, it was not the king that most men in Israel sought, no. But the true king was coming into the world. He was the king without an army. He would establish the kingdom, his kingdom in righteousness, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that new kingdom would be ushered in through the way of the cross. According to the promise, he must be born in Bethlehem of Judea, and therefore a decree went out from God that all the world would be taxed. Oh, indeed, the decree went out from Caesar, but what we see here is that even the mighty Caesar, perhaps the mightiest ruler in the then known world, was subservient in God's hand to serve the coming of the Lord's Christ. And so we read that Joseph goes up from Galilee to Bethlehem to register because he was the house of David. Mary, his betrothed wife, great with child, went with him. The journey was long and tiresome. Probably three or four days to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we can imagine their, awe, their anxiety their minds must have been filled with the things of God. We can, we can imagine that many times they would have talked together about, about they would have wondered about and, and, and marveled about the messages they had each received from the angel of the Lord. 
It had been told her that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit and that she would give birth to a son who would be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And now here they are, having been sent to Bethlehem by the decree. They now know in their minds that this promise is now being fulfilled. Joseph, too, had received a message from a divine herald. He wanted to separate from Mary quietly and save her the embarrassment of her infidelity. But he was confronted by the angel in that that which is conceived in her was of the most high and the child was to be called Jesus for he would save his people from their sin. The angel told him that the prophecy of Isaiah would be fulfilled and Emmanuel, God with us, would be born of Mary. And now Mary and Joseph see Bethlehem before them as they travel and, and their minds are filled as they marvel and ponder the wonderful thing that is about to happen. We read that they come to Bethlehem and while they were there the days were accomplished that she would be delivered. But they find the little town crowded with travelers. Every room was full. There was no room for them in the inn and finally they found shelter in a stable. And soon after they arrived, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Or as our text puts it, the days were completed that she would be delivered. But capture this with me now. Not only Mary's days were completed, but God's days were completed. All the days were completed. All the days of the Old Testament are complete. All the days that had to pass in order to arrive at this precise time had been completed. Today was what the Bible calls, today was what the Bible calls the fullness of time. Today is the day of full salvation. The days had been completed. <clears throat> Capture this with me now. Thousands of years ago, already in paradise, God had promised the coming Messiah. No one but God knew when that day would be. And all the Old Testament ceremonies pointed to the fulfillment of that promise on that day. For centuries, the Old Testament patriarchs and the prophets reminded Israel of that promise. And now the time had come. On that day, now on that day there in that stable of Bethlehem, the days had been completed. And God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The days had been completed or, or accomplished, if you will, to which all previous history had pointed and the day from which all subsequent history proceeds. The days had been completed. God has come in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. But what puzzles us now is that this brings us back to the opening question if this is indeed such a momentous event, if this is indeed the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophetic waiting, if this is indeed the culmination of the redemptive history, if this is indeed the crowning glory of God's salvation for a fallen and a lost humanity, then we would have expected much greater fanfare and detail. After all, if this is it, if this is Israel's hope and expectation, why is it given us in only a few short verses of the Bible? Why not at the very least not a whole book of the Bible devoted to the telling of this momentous event? 
Oh, one would expect a detailed explanation at least. Here we are at the central fact of all of history, past and present, and it's given us all in great simplicity. The days were completed that Mary should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, for there was no room for them in the inn. That's it. That's it. That's all there is. That's it. The most momentous event in all of history of mankind. The story is so simple that even our little children can tell it. And that now is the way that God planned and designed it to be. Nothing but the barest simplicity. Oh, we can, we can pile phrase upon phrase and we can paint all kinds of beautiful pictures and we can embellish it to such an extent that, that, that the beauty of it would bring tears to the eyes of even the most hardened hearts. But people of God, that's what the world does. Think with me, think with me. Look with me, for instance, at the nativity scenes you have seen this season. The picture that the world has formed of the nativity scene is so significantly different from the scene given us here in our text. Think with me, follow with me for a few moments as we learn Christmas as it truly was and as we then go on to see why it had to be so. In that dark, dank, and dirty stable, the Christ was born. But have you ever seen a dirty nativity scene? Did you imagine, as the world does, that that stable where animals are kept would be as beautiful as the scenes you see in the shopping malls, the schools, homes, and tragically even in some churches? Do you think for one moment that it was really that way? Walk with me. Listen to the text again with me for a moment. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's it. That's all. That's all that needs to be said. There in that dirty manger lies the mystery of godliness. Go with me again to Bethlehem. Go with me there and see their God but see him in our flesh. See him there. See the wonder of his divine nature hidden in our nature. He's Mary's firstborn son, Mary's firstborn, flesh of her flesh, bone of her bone, just a little child. There's no halo, there's no glory, but the world is not satisfied with that scene because, and this is so important for us to understand, the degrading humiliation of the manger stands in connection with the shame of the cross. I want to repeat that. The degrading humiliation of the manger stands in connection with the shame of the cross. Jesus came to die. Christ was born so that he could die for the sins of the world. The shame of the cross is to be identified with the shame of man and that the world will not see and consequently the Christmas scene is sanitized it's made new and improved the world takes the scene given us in scripture and makes certain adjustments to make it more palatable the world changes the scene given us in the Bible into something more in keeping with man's own goodness mighty people God examine how carefully that nativity scene that you have seen this season and compare them to the scenes 
given to us in our text. Do you see the contrast? Do they look dirty? Do you capture the sin and the shame in that scene? Then also listen to some of the carols that you hear and compare them to the text of Scripture and and see if they identify faithfully with the Word of God. Contrary to that well-known carol that tells us the baby no crying he makes, the Bible tells us that he was just like us and all other children, sin accepted. That means he knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to suffer pain. And tears and crying were not foreign to him. To suggest that he didn't cry is to embellish him with things of the world and not with the things of Scripture. That is nothing else than window dressing to add up the romanticism of the story. But it's not in keeping with what we taught in Scripture. And that's the problem. And here we have him, Christ the Lord. Wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But you cannot see it. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, but it's hidden in the likeness of human flesh. But but, but to capture this with me now, it is exactly that light, in that light that we see the great significance of the event. Everything about Bethlehem speaks of shame and humiliation. Jesus is born in the deepest epitome of poverty. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. He didn't have a soft, warm, and pretty receiving blankets. No swaddling cloths. Rags had to suffice to keep him warm. No bassinet, no crib to receive this newborn. No, she laid him in a manger in a dirty feed box. A dirty stall for dirty animals. All because there was no room for him. Unbelievable, isn't it? Incredible, isn't it? How different from the way the world portrays the people of God. What is portrayed here in that stable is our shame, yours and mine. Capture this with me. In that child, God himself comes into the world in all of his saving love and power. And there is no room. Christ the Lord is born and in all the world the only place that can be found is a dirty stable and a manger. And now how do we account for all of that? Well, along with the world, we can explain it from a natural point of view. After all, no one knew what was happening. How then could proper arrangements be expected? (coughs) The town was crowded. The whole region was on the move because of the decree. They probably arrived there in the night and they had no reservations. Something like trying to get a motel room in a convention town at the last moment. Everything is booked. You say it it just couldn't be helped. And the world tells us that if it were to happen today, she would be ready. And she would have room and she would do it much differently. And therefore, the world goes on to tell the basics of the nativity scene. She baptizes it with Christian sentiment. She keeps the manger and the stable. But she sweeps out that stable. She scrubs the manger nice and clean. She puts fresh straw in this manger. And she explains that the unfortunate conditions were because of Joseph's failure, or even maybe God's failure, failing to make proper arrangements. And then she dresses up the story, makes it a little bit more acceptable by natural standards. And so she sings of a little town of Bethlehem, how sweet she sees it lie. And and, and, and then she scrubs out the stable and she cleans the manger. And the world places in there a baby that doesn't cry. And the world makes it all so romantic. 
And after all, it's all, after it's all done, the world turns on the lights to illumine the beauty and says, come and see the beauty of Christmas. But, but the Bible paints a much different picture. The Bible wants us to know that that is not at all the way that it was. The way that it was, that impoverished scene was exactly the way that it had to be. After all, remember with me that God planned every single detail, even the minutest detail. God left nothing to chance. Do you really believe that the stable and the manger were incidental accidents? Do you believe even for only one moment that God would send Joseph and Mary with his only begotten son to Bethlehem without making arrangements? Something like perhaps a mother forgetting to pack a lunch for her kid when she sends him off to school? Of course not. All was made ready. And God made these arrangements. And if God made these arrangements, are we then at liberty, are we free to find fault or to improve? God forbid. And yet we do it all the time, usually without thinking about it. And in the process, the significance of the events is changed beyond recognition. Walk with me now. God saw to it that there would be no room in the inn. God provided the manger and the stable. And God did so, not out of neglect, no. He did so with care and with reason. God determined that he would be born in that stable precisely because there was no room for him, not in Bethlehem. No, there was no room then, and there's still no room today. No room for him in all the world. And that's now precisely the point. But the world will not accept that kind of an indictment upon herself. And therefore great pains are taken to obscure the shame of the world which God wanted demonstrated in the humiliation of that humiliating uh, birth of Christ in a stable. People, we need to consider some of these things. His degrading birth in a stable was only the beginning of an entire lifetime of shame and humiliation that finally culminates on that horrible cross because of the sin of the world. But when the world refuses to recognize that it was her sin that made this birth necessary, she will continue to have Christmas festivities, but she'll do it without the Christ of God. For in all the world, although there is room for Christmas, there is no room for Christ because the world refuses to hear that it was her sin that made Christmas necessary. The world will continue to modify the Christmas story. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger for there was no room in the inn, no room in Jerusalem, no room in Judea, no room in Bethlehem, no room for him in all the world. The world would rather have her Caesars and her kingdom of unrighteousness. The world would rather have her wealth and her luxuries. The world would rather have trees and tinsel and garland. The world would rather paint a pretty nativity scene at Christmas. But, but, but for Jesus, the world still today has no room. But what about the church? Is there room for him there? 
No, by nature, even we would reject him and we would say, no room. The scriptures would have us know that we too were dead in sin and trespass and by nature, we desire the Christ child no more than does the unbelieving world. We too, like sheep, had lost our way, each one following our own way, our own road, our own road to destruction. But, 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 praise be to God. He made room. He made room there in the stable of Bethlehem, in the epitome of poverty and ugliness, God's own son born in poverty in order that we would become rich, born to die on that accursed cross in order that we, you and I, might live. There at Golgotha, God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He bore it all, our sin, yours and mine, imputed to him and nailed on that cross with him. But there's still more good news given to us here. That cross is not the end. Oh, no. From that cross, he descends into the grave. But praise be to God, that's still not the end of the story. From the cross, Jesus enters into the grave, but that was our grave because of our sin. Then he goes to the deepest agonies of hell for us, for you and for me. For you and for me and from the grave he arises in the, in the mighty saving resurrection power of God. He goes to prepare a place for us so that you and I could rise and reign with him in eternity. Now finally for the church, for the believer, the shame is gone. Now the message of Bethlehem for the congregation of Christ and only for them has been translated to glory, glory to God in the highest. On that first Christmas day over the fields of Ephrata, God tore open the heavens and the angel chorus pierced the night sky in jubilation saying, glory to God, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth toward men. God made a way by way of the birth, the life, the death of that baby in Bethlehem. God has taken away our cold, dark, and dirty hearts. And he's made room there for the Spirit of God. The filth in Bethlehem was ours. But God cleansed our hearts to make room for the Christ. Soli Deo Gloria. To him, to him alone, be the glory, the power, and the victory people of God, that now is the Christmas story. You cannot tell that story apart from paradise. You cannot tell it with the world. You cannot even tell it to the world. For the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. The carnal mind cannot understand the things of the spirit and consequently the world still today has no room, no room for the true Christ of Bethlehem. 
The world refuses to identify with the cross, but our Christmas gospel, so radically different from the world's, the Christmas gospel, in harmony with our Bible, starts with the tragedy of Adam and Eve, and it goes on to the epitome of shame and degradation in Bethlehem, and it thunders on Good Friday and radiates in glory at Easter. Bethlehem's child is Christ the Lord. He himself, by his word and spirit, made room where there was no room in our hearts, yours and mine. He now lives in us, and by his spirit, he leads each of his own to that same Easter glory. Tremble with me. Stand in amazement with me. Do not be embarrassed even to weep tears of exceedingly great joy with me. Come with me to the fields of Ephrata and see there the holy angels heralding the good news of God. Listen to me as that angelic choir sings glory to God, glory to God in the highest. And then, and then humbly whisper with me and with those shepherds, come, let us go and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. People of God, go with me and with those shepherds. Take off your shoes and walk with me on holy ground. Walk with me on our bare feet through the filthy stable and see there the Christ of God born in a stable for there was no room in the world and then and then shout with me glory to God in the highest for thanks be to God he has made room in my heart oh come and let us adore him Christ the Lord shall we pray Oh, Savior, we greet thee born this happy morning. Oh, Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord.